So today I'm joined by Professor Catherine Wenzel, who is a professor in the Department of Human Development and Quantitative Methodology at the University of Maryland College Park. She received her PhD in education at Stanford University. Her research interests focus on relationships and interactions with peers and teachers as motivators of adolescents' classroom behavior and academic accomplishments. She has published over 100 articles and book chapters based on this work and has co-edited books on achievement, motivation, and social influences. She is currently the editor of Educational Psychologist and past editor of the Journal of Applied Developmental Psychology. Dr. Wenzel is past vice president of Division E of the American Educational Research Association and a fellow of both the American Psychological Association and the American Educational Research Association. Most relevant to our podcast today, Kathy was an AERA congressional fellow for the year spanning 2017 and 2018. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome, Jeff. I'm happy to be here this morning. So can you tell us a little bit about the role of a congressional fellow? Sure. So a couple of years ago, AERA instituted this new program to uh, have educational um, researchers work on Capitol Hill to not only inform that process, but also to learn about the process. The role of fellows is pretty much wide open. So there are no specific criteria about what a fellow is supposed to do, mostly because everyone goes into different offices, some in the House of Representatives and some in the Senate. And our job is merely to, maybe not merely, but to work in these offices on a day-to-day basis. So some of us as fellows met with constituents, uh, wrote letters, prepared congressmen and women for hearings and briefings, developed briefings, scheduled briefings, in addition to working on legislation. So some of us did some of those things, some of us did others. So it's really very specific to the office that we are working in. But the bottom line is that we are there to help folks frame discussions and ideas in terms of evidence and what we know about Uh, the world of education and educational research that can inform what goes on in Congress. Well, that strikes me as a vital role, and I'm so glad that you and other people are doing it because I know that education research is complex and our uh, government needs good information from experts about what they need to know. What did you learn about how education researchers can contribute to policy and policymaking? That's a great question. Um, It's very, very complex. And I think one of the broad things that I took away from my experience is that I think as a community, we have a lot to learn about how to define policy, what we mean by policy, and um, what we hope to gain by forging this intersection with the policy world. So one thing that I wanted to focus on a little bit is that there's a huge difference between federal law and legislation and policy. So laws are those great things that are passed by Congress, and policy is usually generated by the executive branch. And in most cases, policy interprets the law because law is usually very broad-based and often ambiguous. Um, So agencies and the executive branch interpret the law in terms of how it's going to be enforced. So examples of laws would be something like Brown v. Board of Education that influences education, 
or the uh, Elementary and Secondary Education Act, which influences a broad range of issues having to do with um, school functioning. But I think what we don't often realize is that the federal government doesn't oversee a lot of the things that we as educational psychologists are interested in. So for instance, some things like academic curriculum or teaching methods or instructional methods, uh, testing programs, uh, procedures and regulations for uh, administering Pell Grants. These are all things that are administered at the state and local level. So the federal government gives the states money to run all of these programs, but they have very little say in terms of how it all gets implemented. So when we're talking about educational policy and educational research, it's very important for educational researchers to think about what it is that they want to influence. Um, Are we just looking for money to do our research, which a lot of us are? Um, Or do we really want to have influence over legislation and policy? So the avenues for doing those things um, are very different. So that's interesting because what it suggests to me is that not only is it a goal for educational psychologists and researchers to reach out to policymakers, but it sounds like uh, we as a field need to do some work to better educate ourselves about how government works and how we can best interface with government at the federal, state, and local levels to really achieve our goals, because it could be that we're targeting the wrong level. Exactly. And I think that um, there are ways that we can influence at the federal level. Um, We can certainly influence through policymakers. Um, There are avenues for um, responding to the federal register when, for instance, the Department of Education posts policies for comment. Um, NIH, NSF, IES also have that process where just about anyone can um, submit letters and commentary about programs and policies that they are thinking of implementing. Um, At the federal level, you can certainly work through uh, congressional offices. Um, Actually, a great way to uh, have influence is to find out who the the players are in the lobbying world. Lobbyists are still um, extremely influential on the Hill, Uh, think tanks, Um, Just to mention, too, the Center for American Progress, the Learning Policy Institute, um, the Aspen Institute, these folks are all very active in working with congressional offices to educate them about educational issues um, so that when legislation does come to the fore, there are people who congressmen and women can call on immediately to get information. And I think that's one area where we as a community can have influence by working with these folks, working with your congressional offices in your states to establish relationships with staffers as well as our representatives and senators so that they call on us when they are thinking about specific issues that have relevance to education. But that takes a lot of work and it it uh, involves working with people over time on a very steady and deliberate basis. So that helps me uh, kind of deconstruct my kind of naive view of how we can interface with uh, government. You know, I have 
uh, this vision in my head of, you know, walking into some congressperson's office and making this impassioned and convincing argument for something I really care about and having the person either writing or voting on the laws going, you know, you're right, Jeff, let me work on that. But it sounds to me like that's maybe not the most common way or the most likely way to enact change, but rather there are these other routes such as public comment or working with lobbyists or staffers. It sounds like education researchers need to start getting in front of a diverse group of people um, to establish credibility and to start shaping that relationship so that when these questions come up, we are called upon. Exactly. And don't get me wrong, you can go and visit um, the offices on the Hill. Um, most likely, however, you're not going as an individual, you probably aren't going to get in to see um, your representative or your senator. You're going to talk with a staffer or a fellow like me. I talked with many, many, many people um, over the year that I was there uh, about all kinds of issues. And some of that information um, was useful to the office. A lot of it wasn't. If you have specific programs or issues that you want to target in your state or even at the federal level, it's always good to form groups of people who are like-minded and have similar issues. Um, I have seen groups that have become um, very powerful networks on the Hill. And these are org they're really organizations at this point who have liaisons who go around to offices, they schedule briefings, they go to briefings, they work with think tanks, they're there everywhere. And so it's to your benefit to work with others on broader issues. The likelihood of somebody listening to your favorite pet program and thinking that's going to be a great thing to introduce into law is just not going to happen. Um, one avenue, perhaps, for, for having an impact in that area would be to work through the education committees. So in the House, there's the Education and Workforce Committee, and they think more carefully and um, are more focused in terms of specific programs and um, can introduce language into the education bills if they are amenable. So that's that's helpful. And I guess, you know, you've you've listed a number of different ways in which uh, education researchers and educational psychologists can try to um, have some influence or input on the process. And you've mentioned public comment and lobbyists and, or, and forming your own groups and um, connecting with staffers and that kind of thing. I guess what I'm curious about is how do we establish expertise and relevance? So, I mean, do do we walk in with some of that given our credentialing or do you think there are different ways in which policymakers and the people around policymakers um, look, look for or recognize what we can contribute? I'm just I'm trying to figure out how we can walk in there and someone goes, oh, this is someone I should listen to. Mm -hmm. So let me just give you an example of what I uh, witnessed when I was working on the Hill. So I talked to a lot of college presidents, um, folks from universities. A lot of them just came in to chat and to update us on what their particular issues were. So when I was uh, on the Hill, they were uh, working on the Higher Education Act. So I heard and actually learned a whole lot about student funding, about transition programs from high school into college, college readiness programs, 
um, programs related to food insecurity, things that are really at the, the forefront in higher education these days. And these folks came in regularly or different people, but from the same group came in maybe three or four times a year just to talk about their issues. And usually university presidents or liaisons from universities on the Hill do, at least in our office, they were able to speak with the congressmen um, at least some of the time when they came in. Uh, you know, they can you can make an appointment and if they're around and would like to talk with you, they certainly will. Um, the other thing is to work with think tanks um, and to let them be aware of what your issues are and form ranks with them and visit offices as a group. Uh, that's another way to get your your issues to the forefront. But it, it really does just take persistence and forging relationships with uh, staffers, lobbyists. Um, a lot of Research One institutions have people uh, in Washington, D.C., and they, they work with folks on the Hill on a regular basis. So these are all ways to make inroads into um, the offices and to get to speak with people. Another way is to have briefings. Um, my sense is that briefings put a public face on things, but they don't necessarily uh, influence staffers. But Staffers rarely, rarely attend them. Usually the people from the outside do, which I found was interesting. But if there are briefings on the Hill and the issues become relevant, such as um, issues surrounding safe schools, uh, which was a pretty hot topic when I was down there because of the Parkland shootings, um, the people who presented in the briefings were called upon um, for additional information, briefings are recorded, and so staffers go back to them and listen to them. So it's another way of getting information, at least on the record, so that if people are interested in those issues, they can go back to them and perhaps follow up with you if you're one of the experts on those panels. And I know that the American Psychological Association and other organizations are taking that route and they're having briefings on things like school safety, et cetera, um, to try to get those issues out in front of the public. And it sounds like one of the purposes of that isn't necessarily to influence staffers, but to influence other groups that then come back to those staffers. And so it sounds like there's, uh, if I can be so bold, a, a socio-ecological model here where there's a number of different uh, concentric circles and, and good policy change comes about by affecting people in various places in the ecosystem of uh, Congress and legislation. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, public perception is huge. You know, public does contact offices um, and people listen to them. I think one of the things that's also important to note is that offices can be very busy in the sense that things can happen very, very quickly. Um, legislation can be introduced within a 24-hour period, depending on what happens. And so, that's when it's good to have this information out there um, so that people can call on it to make decisions. The other thing to note, though, is the vast majority of, of bills that are introduced are messaging bills. Um, they are introduced for political reasons. 
um, to educate the public, to educate each other sometimes. And the number of bills that actually get passed into law are very, very few, which is another thing that we need to understand. You know, if you think that you're going to get legislation passed that reflects your favorite issue, chances are it's not going to happen. However, getting language into bills, um, getting messaging bills out there that increase um, information that's out there to the public is very important. Um, I'll give you one example in the area of social and emotional learning, which is where I was working primarily. So when ESSA was initially passed, um, SEL, social and emotional learning language, was really first introduced into um, federal legislation. It was introduced at a very broad and vague level, but just the fact that those words were introduced into ESSA then gave states the ability to form SEL programs, fund SEL programs as they saw fit. So even though language is vague, it was there. And just a couple of words can make a huge difference down, down the road in terms of who gets funding and for what. That's a really important point. And so let me make sure I'm understanding it. Uh, so the idea is because these laws and, and federal policies, et cetera, are kind of vague, if you can get some language in there, then at the state and local level, that frees those uh, folks up to start allocating funds towards those issues. And so it's, it's not the case, I think, that um, there's going to be a federal law that says SEL is really important fund it, but rather that gets into some kind of messaging um, that then f allows more local groups to target that as they see fit. Exactly. So in the federal legislation, um, it probably says more or less SEL is important. Um, states can use funds for purposes of social and emotional learning programming. Uh, in, and that's included with a long list of other things that they can use funding for. Um, but then at the state level, they can decide if that's what they want to do, if that's where they want to put their money. Um, some may, some may not. Um, and so if they do, then how are they going to spend it? Are they going to fund specific programs? Are they going to um, have an RFP? Um, and have local school districts uh, compete for the monies? Um, you know, how are they going to define social emotional learning? All of those things are really left up to the state. Um, and that's where I think educational researchers can make a much larger difference. So states get money for uh, implementing, developing instructional programs, social and emotional programs. Um, how that money gets divvied up, how it gets spent, who gets it, um, is all open, I think, to influence to a certain degree. So getting to know the players at the state level and even in local school districts, um, you know, that's where if you have a favorite program, whether it's um, instructional, curriculum, um, having to do with testing, um, regulations, social-emotional learning, that's where you can convince people that perhaps they might want to try your approach um, and get you into the conversation. Right. And and so 
the point that I hadn't realized as clearly, and which I really appreciate you sharing, is that there's got to be a window for that topic at the federal level. There's got to be some way that the folks at state and local levels can say, I'm looking at the guidance I've gotten from the government and I can allocate funds to that. I see a place that allows me to do that. Um, exactly. Yeah. So it really is the case that uh, education researchers, if they want to advance some new idea or different idea, they've really got to focus at federal, state and local levels to kind of get to the point where they can actually start making some headway. Sure, sure. Um, and I don't want to forget, you know, at the policy level, when I mentioned um, our ability to comment, so the major funding agencies, you know, NIH, uh, NSF, IES, uh, the Department of Ed, um, those are places to target as well, although they're much more political. And the party in power is going to have uh, the most sway in terms of what kinds of initiatives are, are being funded. But um, just taking NSF for an example, they've funded um, a large number of studies having to do with STEM, which is clearly of interest to educational psychologists. Um, and so talking with those folks and, and trying to get a sense of what the issues are, how you might be able to inform those issues at a policy level, I think is worth our time as well. Right. So that that's also an important point, because, again, I'm picturing this kind of multifaceted way in which ideas get into the the policy uh, environment and then, you know, start affecting change. And I know that um, the American Psychological Association, AERA, uh, the National Academy of Education and others had this briefing on um, how to reduce weapons and violence in schools and communities. And um, that that was one step towards getting these ideas and specifically what those organizations think should be done about that issue into the ecosystem. Right, right. And so um, I know that Division 15 recently put forth a, a policy paper on violence in the schools. That's another good example of ways to get the information out, to raise the level of influence, if you will, um, from major organizations. So APA has a lot of people on the Hill, and I actually talked to a lot of their people when I was working on some issues. Um, so they're very active and they uh, understand that getting out the word is a very important part of their job. So that's really helpful. And now I have a, a better sense of kind of the multifaceted way in which these briefings are a piece of larger initiatives. Um, and I know that you worked a lot, as you mentioned, on social emotional learning. Um, were there other things that in the course of your work that you discovered that you thought would be helpful to share with folks about how to advance an issue like that and get it into that ecosystem? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, the, the ability to have influence always is going to depend on the party that's in power and um, what you hope to insert into the discussion. Um, some of the things that I worked on didn't necessarily have uh, end up in legislation. Um, I worked on a lot of issues having to do with SEL, civic education, civic engagement, um, food insecurity on college campuses, trauma-informed care. So my job was informing staff or talking to other people on the Hill about these issues. 
Um, what I came away with was being far better educated about this process. And so one of the um, objectives that I had going into this, um, and it became even more solidified after I was done, is that simply taking this information back to our communities is extremely important. Um, as an editor, um, I always get these, you know, pat paragraphs, and we've all written them at the end of papers about how what we've just done has policy implications. Well, it probably doesn't, probably has implications perhaps for practice. Um, but simply understanding what the policy process is, what policy actually is, I think could help us be better researchers and help us think more clearly about ways that we can have influence through our work. One paper is never going to have an influence on policy or very rarely, I can't think of an example where it has, but I'm sure there might be uh, one or two out there. But putting together a corpus of work, um, forming groups, lobbying groups amongst researchers for certain ideas and being really clear about how either the law or policy can help us get our ideas out there and improve the educational process. So there's a lot to be learned just by engaging in the political process, um, even if while you're engaging, you're not going to have a huge amount of influence. So I think it's worth our while to learn more about how the government works, you know, go back to junior high school civics education for educational researchers um, to remind us about how all of this works. And I think that can only help us. Yeah, I think the, uh, pardon the dated reference, but the schoolhouse rock level of information that many people have about how government works probably isn't going to cut it. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, but it's a good place to start. <laughs> They're fun to watch. Um well, and also speaks to, you've, you've mentioned several times that it takes a prolonged effort that often requires groups of people. It's not like one person can um, kind of go to the hill and just make it their personal cause and have a lot of influence. And so uh, it reminds me of, you know, people like Ron Astor and Dorothy Espelage and yourself who have this, you know, kind of built up this large evidence base that then probably is more compelling. And when you get together with other people that share your views and have done that work, you're much more influential than just one person, you know, knocking on a congressperson's door or trying to pull a staffer aside in a hallway. Yeah, exactly. And just to put in a plug for um, Division 15's program at APA, um, I understand that, that Dorothy and Ron are going to be on a panel um, these two researchers especially have made uh, an enormous impact on the Hill through their briefings, through their efforts to inform people on the Hill, and uh, they're an ex excellent example of a very persistent and prolonged effort to get the word out about what we know about um, school violence, programs that are out there um, that might help and that might work. And they've been doing this for a long time, uh, and their visibility is certainly increased. And um, I think they're doing a great job in informing um, not only folks on the Hill, but educational researchers about what it is that we need to do in order to move forward with this problem. Yeah. And your point about, you know, that paragraph at the end of a, a paper is a really good one. Because I, I mean, I, I will say that I, um, 
when I was younger, I kind of thought of politics as this thing I didn't want to get involved in. I had a very naive view of it. I thought it was pretty much people trying to manipulate things to get funding or whatever. Um, but what I think you've articulated really well is that legislators have a lot to do and they can't possibly learn everything about everything. And so they have to depend upon staffers and other groups to keep them informed and kind of help them understand what should I focus on and what's important. And that's there's nothing bad or wrong about that. That's, that's part of living in a community is making sure that you find ways to convince people in your community that these things are important. And so the quote unquote political aspect of education research is more about advocacy. It's more about ensuring that people understand the work that you've done and can see its value um, so that you can coalesce a critical mass to try to get these things to the point where they warrant um, the attention of the people who have a lot to pay attention to. Exactly. And, you know, I mentioned earlier working with um, think tanks and, and lobbyists Um they too have um, political agendas. So there are some very liberal ones and some very conservative ones. And so even working at that level, I think it's um, one of the most useful contributions of an educational researcher is try to insert um, a more objective view of what the research actually says. Um, Research always has its values in, in politics as well. So I'm not trying to say that we are always totally objective in what we do. But many times, um, messages that come out of these groups has a political bias as well. And so working with them can be just as um, influential and beneficial to help them understand what the research actually says um, as working with a congressman um, because they have their ears and those are the people that they're going to listen to. Yep. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it, you're right. It's really very much an advocacy uh, activity that we need to engage in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we can't just kind of appear and then disappear. It's got to be a consistent, sustained effort by groups of people. Right. That makes sense to me. I've learned a lot today about policy and policymaking and how to influence that process and um, the various levels. Are there other things that we haven't talked about that you think education researchers and educational psychologists should know about policy and policymaking? I think we've covered a lot. Uh, I guess my takeaway message is that um, we need to uh, get together with like-minded folk uh, and work on these issues if you are interested in influencing the p- political arena, please do get involved. Um, there are educational researchers who are very active on the Hill, but there's sort of few and far between. And so I think it, it can make a difference and it, it behooves us to think about ways that we can increase our voice. Um, I did want to put in a plug for the um, AERA Congressional Fellow Program, if this is something that you are interested in. It's an excellent way to learn about the process um, and to really get an inside view of what it's like to work on the Hill, what a congressional office really looks like, what its day-to-day activities are. And I think until we understand that, it makes it difficult to um, make inroads and and have an influence on the process. Um, It's not something for everybody, but if you are interested in it, I guarantee you, you're going to learn an awful lot that you'll be able to bring back to your search and your practice 
Um, many junior folks who become uh, a fellow on the Hill often find they want to stay. And so they get permanent jobs either working on the Hill or working in the agencies such as NAH or NSF. Um, and at that point, um, their influence can um, really be important because then they have a day-to-day voice in the activities of the agency. Well, it, it certainly sounds like the Congressional Fellow Program is incredibly important. It sounds like a wonderful experience. And so I do hope that people consider it seriously and that we continue to build that program so that we can continue to have yet another way um, to insert good educational and educational psychology research into the conversation. It just sounds like that's um, a really powerful way to do that. So uh, thank you so much for doing it. And uh, thank you so much for talking to us today about your experience. It's been uh, really informative, and I'm so glad that our listeners will be able to um, hopefully start moving towards that position of understanding um, that you've described as so important, because I don't think it's obvious, but it's, it's something that can be learned and needs to be learned. Well, thank you so much, Jeff. Um, it's been fun. Uh, I would say to anyone listening, if you have questions about the fellowship or my experiences, send me an email. I'd be happy to talk to you. That's very generous. Um, So once again, I want to thank Professor Catherine Wenzel from the University of Maryland at College Park for talking to us today about the AERA Congressional Fellow Program and policymaking in general. It's been a wonderful conversation, so thank you. Thank you, Jeff.